Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this, our ninth episode, we speak with Dr. David Rogers, who recently finished his PhD thesis on football aerodynamics. He tells us about the design process and testing he used in his research, and we discuss the general role of technology in sport. Dave gave us some cool pictures of some of his testing, and they're up at sportstechnologypodcast.com. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Tech Pod. Enjoy! I'm Henry, and with me today is Mike. Hello. Brian. Hello. And today in our studio, we have a guest, Dr. David Rogers, joining us. Say hi. Hello. Hello. So uh, David is a, a friend and colleague here at the Sports Technology Institute, and um, he's recently finished his PhD in football. Dr. So, Rogers. Yeah. That's right. Dr. Rogers, <laughs> we'll call you from now on. <laughs> yeah, so, so welcome. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into sports tech? Yeah, technology. sure. So um, it all started back in uh, in August in 1982, when <laughs> 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 maybe, maybe we can keep a little more <laughs> abbreviated. <laughs> <laughs> so no, uh, I, I guess it all started from uh, from my real passion in in sport when I was at school. I used to go out and always cause mischief and like to play games, uh, in particular football, rugby, cricket, all the sort of uh, stock games and uh, English games. Yeah, the English games. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <I'll tell you>. <laughs> <laughs> there's no soccer involved. Um, and yeah, just had a strange, a strange schooling experience. Um, I was more interested in being outside and, and playing the sports and being involved in all the teams than actually being in the classroom working on um, uh, on all the sort of scientific, and I guess the classroom based uh, activities. Which is quite ironic now when I look back that I've actually completed a PhD. <laughs> I think some of my teachers would be quite shocked, and maybe I need to go there and show them a certificate. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, see this, yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, I was uh, um, really into sport. Um, I did actually, my, my dad has always been very good at maths and science-based, so he's always sort of showing me um, the interesting aspects of science and engineering, which is sometimes you, they miss in schools, I think, so I was always given that additional, kind of, yeah, look at, look at this, this is, this is the cool aspect of, of the maths and science, and, uh, and really what I wanted to do was to, to combine the two, so when I went into A-levels, did this bog standard maths and physics and, and sports studies, um, and I got a place to do mechanical engineering at university. Um, graduated in 2005, which seems a long time ago now compared to all you guys. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, 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 yeah, so I graduated with a first class honours in mechanical engineering, um, and then. Again, I guess nothing to do with sport, although my final year project was quite related to sport. It was uh, to do with rugby scrum caps. So I was always interested in... That's a hat. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, rugby hat. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Well, I guess scrum cap. Yeah. For those, not, for those not familiar with rugby, I think oh, the scrum cap might be... I'm sure everyone knows scrum cap. Yeah, it's, it's quite ironic. <laughs> <laughs> they wear how much padding on them? <laughs> say something about but um, no so my project was really about it was just off my own back to sort of look at how accelerations and all this kind of um, trauma that occurs in, in rugby impacts um, how that affects the uh, I guess the, the material or the, the design of the, the headgear and how that influences the, the injury right um, so that was that was that was my first insight into sport engineering really and that was just off my own back and I re- that sparked the interest to take me to where I am now and then, so after university, it's a bit long-winded, this maybe. Good. That was fine. Good. Um, so after, after university, I, uh, I got offered a, um, a position at Adidas 
uh, innovation team as an internship, which is what Henry actually did. Uh, yes, sir. When you came over to Germany, but I declined that offer because I thought I, had a, I actually had a better offer from a consultancy company in Coventry. Uh, they're called Simpact Engineering, and uh, they dealt with a lot of crashworthiness testing, so vehicle impacts, and again related to the human aspect. I think that's where I've always had an interest, kind of just dealing with uh, sort of human injuries and, and sort of applying a, a, a real, I guess, personal aspect onto engineering and, and what, what you see in, in, in the real world. So I did that for three years, really enjoyed it, did lots of cool testing, so we got to, um, to do a full vehicle crash test of a, of a Caterham CSR, so one of those, kit, well, it's not really a kit car, because it's about a £40,000 car, but, uh, <laughs> and it's like 0 to 60 in sub three seconds, so it's a, it's a very quick. quick car. Was this, was this mostly lab-based testing, or also mathematical models? And yeah, it, was, it started off in simulation works, doing computer simulations, and predicting and trying to design things that could absorb all the energy that occurs within a crash. So you, you do that initial stage in, in the lab, uh, and then and then we got to the, the full vehicle crash test at Millbrook Test Centre, which is, people might be familiar with Myra, they see it on Top Gear all the time, but Millbrook is a, is a similar test centre. So we, we spec'd up the car, we got it all ready, we put a hybrid dummy in there with all the accelerometers and, and Measurement devices and uh, and then crashed it into a into a solid wall at wall at uh, uh, about thirty miles an hour, and then we looked at all the recordings <laughs> afterwards. Thankfully, somebody switched it on, so because uh, <laughs> I have heard stories from previous colleagues at Ford where they went through the process and forgot to turn on all the instrumentation. <laughs> so that was about two it's million pounds. Down car, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a really cool thing that I did, and then another cool project that I worked on was. Uh, Ballistic impact, so we were looking at body protection for the police and for the military and, and how we actually, I guess how we optimise that, how we make sure that these guys stay as safe as they can without wearing ridiculously thick and heavy and really poor ther thermal um, layers. And that was against simulation work, then we went down and did some um, some physical testing. And that's so, yeah, so you got shot. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's funny that because my directors kept pushing me forward. Yeah, just put that on and stand by that X. But, uh, I, uh, I, was, I was a smart guy right from day one. I, I realised that my job stayed at making the tea for everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was. A, I really enjoyed that project. That was really good working at Simpact and uh, and doing that kind of work. And then I, you know, I, I kind of I wanted to do more education. We're working with a lot of university students uh, at Leeds University and at Hertfordshire University and, um, and I, I just kind of said I can do that, I can, I can do a PhD I think um, and it's, you know, it's a great cr uh, credential to have and you know, I really like the idea of getting on a project, getting teeth into it and getting forward and, and then the one at Loughborough University became available working on, um, it turned out footballs for a four year PhD working with Adidas. Uh, working on the World Cup football, the the Jabulani, the the final ball was the Jabulani. You got a different pronunciation for the line, I think. Um, for the football, is some strange. Depending on whether you're American, Irish, or whatever, everyone has different says on takes on it. But uh, it's Jabulani. That's the official version. What's it mean? Uh, it means it means. <laughs> I'm trying to think of my Zulu there. Coming together, or the togetherness, yeah. or bringing together, and it's there's a whole theme that goes about it. That's they're very clever at linking all the, the media training yeah. together. So, you know, 11 colors, 11 players on the pitch, 11 languages in South Africa. This is the 11th World Cup, and it's got a running theme. And it was really, it's something I'm really proud of to be involved in, and I'm really happy that 
I went through the process and that long-winded story about, um, I guess, who I am and where I got to. Cool. So, so this this project on the football, would you like to elaborate a bit? I mean, I, I, I appreciate that some things may be somewhat confidential or sensitive, so... Yeah, well, but, like... But about your work, about your testing. What, sure, well, like, I guess, again, to, to take it back to the start, what most people might be thinking is, uh, what's a football? <laughs> what can you do with it? It's round, it's not changed for over 100 years, it's, you know, they're all the same. And I must admit, I was a little naive, and even as an engineer, that I thought when I was offered the project, yeah, what can you do? It's, you know, it's pretty much it's round, done, right? It's done, yeah. It's, uh, can you make it rounder? In 2006, apparently they did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it was, it was a strange project to start with. But my, my work on the project was heavily focused on on how it flies through the air. So there was a lot of debate in previous World Cups about the, the flight properties, how it moves, and uh, it's moving erratically. And and we looked at ways to um, quantify that, to sort of say, you know, how do you, how do you measure, you know, not the, any of this subjective measurement about, oh, I think it's moved, and based on whether a camera moves or whether a player's seen it moves or, you know, rolling around on the floor from a previous injury, they've got a different perspective to someone that's in the stand. So is this primary like feedback from players or from media people or like from engineers at Adidas? Like who who kind of drives that? Previously it's been a lot from the media. There's always a lot of hype around World Cups, um, specifically about the ball, because you know, the last since nineteen seventy since Adidas are bringing out balls uh, for the World Cup contracts. Um, there's been a lot of hype around, you know, the balls, and uh, there's a lot of media spin that gets put on put on things. And, and as engineers, it's our it's our role and our duty, I guess, to kind of quantify these things and say, is that true or is that opinion? And uh, well, I think I think um, it's important to have media representation and people talking about the ball because the ball could be epitomised as the most important sports product in the world, being from the most popular sport with the most being played. So. It's good that people are taking attention. Definitely, I mean, attention. without the media, they wouldn't. Well, we wouldn't be here today because yeah, uh, producing this and that. But did that make you nervous working on that? <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, it, it didn't at all. Not not the start of the project. I really enjoyed. I was I was so far in the the back room working in the labs that um, media was was not not even a, even closer even thought of. I don't think I was allowed to to really get any exposure on that. It, it wasn't the stage of the project anyway, but. No, I agree. I agree with Brian. It's you know, there's a lot of good media out there as well, and a lot of positive things. And I think that really, what my experience through the whole process is that um, it's important to, to to back it up with with facts and, and figures. And, and the problem is that if you say something, people tend to pick it up and run with it. If you're an influential person, whereas unfortunately, the people that actually do the testing and the results and know, know more of the answers and the phenomena that go on tend not to be asked the questions, so they tend not to have a voice, and that's, that's challenging, so it's, you know, it's, it's difficult. So, so tell us, like, where, what was the state of the ball when you started, in terms of development, and, or perhaps another question is, where did Adidas take you, or say to you, right, start from here and, and take this particular part forward? So lay out the project. Yeah, so so the university started working on balls say back in two thousand two, and there's been lots of technological advances in materials and design. And in two thousand six, one of the PhD students who's actually working for Adidas at the moment uh, looked at the the team guys ball in Germany, 
So I looked how round that was and looked at the dynamic behavior of that. So that, that was an important aspect. 2008, another PhD student looked at traction properties, so how the ball interacts with surfaces. Uh, and mine was in 2010, looking at the Javilani. And it was, it, was, it was the flight performance. So you know they came to us with a brief and they said, right, we need to make sure that this ball, uh, we understand what's going on with the ball because football aerodynamics is still very much in its infancy. A lot of people have ideas. It's, aerodynamics as a field is so complex and so, you, so challenging and you know, even automotive industries, is, uh, you know, they spend a lot of money and they're, still, they're only scratching the surface in what they know. Um, is it an art or a science? Uh, it's definitely a science. It's a very technical, technological, and complex science. Uh, but there's it's up for interpretation. So, depending depending on how you interpret the results, in some respects, when you're especially when you're doing things like flow visualization. So you know, when you put imagine you put something in a wind tunnel, for example. A lot of people come to the wind tunnel, especially media uh, people. We've had Sky and, and uh, BBC and other other areas that come to us and. They're like, go on, let's see it. And it's wind, you can't see wind. So it's, it's kind of, all you can show them is the computer screen that has forces on it. And that doesn't compute with people. And you don't expect them to understand that because you're spending your life trying to understand that. So um, it's difficult to get, to get across you know, what, what, what it actually means and what's happening there. So you have to use instrumentation to try and figure out what's going on. And you have to use things to visualize it. So flow visualization, you tend to put something in the fluid in the in the water in the, the air to then see how it's moving and how it's interacting with with the object that you've got in the wind tunnel or water tunnel, and that is some, that is is getting better with the computers, but it's still partially subjective. I think it's you interpret what's happening and relay that back to theory, and that's the art. You know? yeah. um, so a big big scary project, one of the biggest sports products in the world, handed the. A young David Rogers, fresh face. Thank you, bro. <laughs> fresh face. What did you do? How did you go about starting? Because I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. This is a big, big project for a young guy, <laughs> and he suddenly come in here. So it also seems like quite a new field, in, in that yeah, exactly. You know, like there's there's so so, so much scope for individual routes or or directions. Yeah, and you need to develop test methods and, and a test equipment and, and goals. Yeah. I mean, you need to make those up yourself. Exactly, and so I think. I think the first point, the definitely thing I did was, was look at existing literature, look at what other people had done, what they'd found, uh, where they had established that they hadn't got all the information and why they hadn't got all the information. So really just to look at where we sat within the field and you know what and uh, what, what could be done and what, what questions were so pertinent that needed to be answered right away. And, uh, and that, so that was, you know, that can take took me about, well, it was rushed through because we had quite tight timelines with Adidas, so I was working a lot of hours, a lot of nights and weekends right from the start just to kind of read through the literature to find out where everyone else in the world was, where the sporting governing bodies were and um, all the industries. So you, you've got to assess your area first. You've got to know what, what's out there and where you can sit. Um, and then we work into a brief. So Adidas had a brief. We wanted to uh, ensure that the... Um, the ball was had an improved flight uh, in-flight uh, in stability, so made sure that it didn't move uh, uh, unpredictably in the air. Um, and you, you know, you, you kind of you work from that. You, you then test test prototypes based on theory, and, you, and then you look at the results and say, is that what we expect? 
and then you go off and you test another one and you, you test another one and then once you've tested prototypes and you've got a good understanding of what's going on then you can you can look at real balls and and um, game scenarios and actually put it into context but sometimes you've got to step out of the actual game and look at sub-models and fundamental kind of principles that are occurring so that, that was my my way or take on it. So what, what tests would you start to do if you were looking at ball stability? Uh, specifically what I did was uh, we looked at wind tunnel testing so we, we got balls and we mounted them in wind tunnels similar to what they do in F1 uh, testing and other automotive industries and aircraft and, and you know just, just get an idea of the forces and what's going on with the ball really. Um, so that, that's working and you simplify the model so you take standard footballs and then you also take um, prototype models and you, you look at different aspects because in aerodynamics there's lots of different fields and whether it's the, the shape of the, the object is important or the, the finish of the object, how smooth it is. Or, so there's lots of different things, lots of complex things going on that nobody really truly understands at the moment. Um, so that, that's, that's one area that you look at and because as I said before we were under quite tight timelines we had to also look at physical testing so we had to accelerate that process and say right let's start kicking some balls let's let's get the, let's get a design let's figure out what 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 design's going to be what the design brief is and how that because every ball that's followed in the previous world cups have had a different unique design a lot of players a lot of the general public tend to just pass this off they don't tend to look at the real detail and I must admit, I'm a little bit ashamed now that I tend to look at all balls and just kind of really look at the, <laughs> the intricate pattern of them. And my wife turns around, which is Karen. Hello, Karen. <laughs> she uh, she calls me a real geek now, which I find crazy when I look back from where I came from. But um, yeah, there's, there's lots of unique patterns and, and designs that go on there that people tend to just, even players, you know, they, they, they don't even look at. You, you know, you, you've, you've got to really stick to a clear brief, test for that brief. And then look at the results and, and sort of drive the testing really. I know it's all confidential, but can you kind of talk a wee bit about where you took your testing or where you took your design forward? You know, what was the difference? Perhaps maybe this is easier to do. What was the difference between the team guys and the Jubilani, you know, from your testing? Yeah, uh, the, I will try and answer that as best I can <laughs> um, because. There are some confidential uh, of course, I think pro product developments. I mean, nothing, nothing to hide. Just the fact that Adidas spent a lot of money in developing balls. So did Nike and all the other brands. And uh, that's, that's Nike for the. Uh, the that, that is. I'm glad you corrected. Me. <laughs> uh, if any of you guys say Adidas, I'll correct you on that as well. Uh, so, <laughs> Ready for that's that. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they spent a lot of money, and there's a lot of protection there needed, and, and rightly so. So I'll, I'll try and answer that as best I can. Um, Just an overview. Yeah. Does it seem? Does it finish? Or is it all above panel? Well, I, again, I was, I was looking at one aspect. So, you know, you, my aspect was looking at the flight. So, when you look at the flight, you, you assume that after it's been kicked, the only forces that act on it are the forces in the air. So, there's no dynamic interactions, there's no, nothing from the boot, from the ground. It's just purely how the air is flowing around the ball. And that is highly governed by the actual shape of it. Uh, a sphere, it's known in the aerodynamics as a bluff body, um, has a lot of fundamental irregularities with that, regardless of what design it is, whether it's Nike or Adidas or anything. It, you know, the sphere itself is, has a unique uh, property. But the difference between the 2006 balls and, or, and the 2008 ball and the current 2010 World Cup ball is, uh, is the seam configurations. That's the main thing that we looked at. We, we, we changed 
dimensions, distributions, densities of how you position these seams and where they go to give you a nice consistent performance. And that that's I guess in a summary, executive summary, which I've been trying to get across in four years and I've just managed now, <laughs> is the uh, is yeah, is, I guess to um, optimize that seam configuration for a consistent performance. Yeah. Well, so, so gen generally speaking, the whole the whole project almost from just just to summarize, so I'm understanding it correctly. You start out knowing, trying to trying to understand what everyone else has done in the field, and then you created a, a battery of tests and and did and, and ran normal balls and also and also potential prototypes or or just kind of test configurations just to almost yeah. establish a library of knowledge with which you can compare yeah because the things you potential gotta, configurations things you got to remember with uh, with PhDs and you know we're all familiar with this is that it's primary research there's no there's no textbook to look at and say right how do I test a football in the wind tunnel it's it's up to you to, to understand the the fundamental physics that goes on with it and how you can best represent what happens in the real world in a wind tunnel so you, you've got to go through an iterative process to say Oh, this gives me a quite a large area here, so I'll reduce that and I'll make sure this happens here. And so yeah, you've got a whole series series of tests that you need to you need to go through to, to, to whittle down to that final design based on that design performance. But again, even within even within football, um, again, it's quite a common misconception people have is that there's, there's different phenomenons that occur depending on on how the ball's kicked. So. You know, if you compare David Beckham kick, for example, that's got high spins on it, that's got high rotations. So you're expecting to curve, and I think all of us, um, maybe not Mike, he's not a big football fan. Let's say baseball, uh, hopefully talking to the right audience. <laughs> you've got a curveball and a knuckleball. Curveball, Mike, you probably add a little bit more, but high revs, you try and get revolutions on it, and it dips at the last minute or early or whatever. And knuckleball, you try to limit that spin, don't you? You take the spin away from it. And then you say, and then you get this kind of erratic movement that occurs. Now, these are two fundamentally different aerodynamic features that occurs. And quite often, people group them together um, in terms of, oh, that ball did, didn't do this, that ball did that. And, um, and that's what we have to look at. How do you separate all of those aspects and work on each individual one? But ultimately, you're looking at the whole performance of the ball. You know, it doesn't matter if it's the best performing ball in terms of spinning. If it's rubbish when it when it's moving in flight, so you know we, we, we have to consider all aspects, and I think that's what we try to do. Clearly, they have a, a very high understanding for for the football and all the, the dynamic situations, uh, as as do your colleagues and, and the people who develop these things. But I think a lot of the, the players and the, the the viewers they it's not only they don't appreciate the amount of work that goes in or the 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 amount of change that half an RPM can have on the ball. Do you think do you think as as the technology develops and as like as, as your work comes comes out and just the sport technology field increases in general, do you think we can expect more from yeah. the, the general public? I think uh, I think firstly you know, be able to differentiate yeah differentiate between I scenarios. guess we, we look at different things. I mean, as engineers and sports technologists we, we look at really small features and, and try to measure that and understand that. So we're looking at different things. Uh, spectators, they're looking at different things compared to us and what they want. 
And they all have different views of the game. Exactly, like yeah. Game, whether it's on TV or at the stadium. Different perspectives. They see a different, <clears throat> the same ball can move in three different ways. Yeah, and that's, different viewers. and that's highly dependent on graphics and all, the, all these other aspects that aren't necessarily mean that they're moving. It's just your perception of the movement. But, I, I mean, I would not... I would not challenge for one minute that I know how to kick a football better than Ronaldo. Not a chance. These guys have built up extensive library of, of, of experience, just some kicking, and they've got a talent, a unique talent that the general population don't have. Um, and is their, their input is so valuable to, to your development. And we worked closely with a lot of professional players to ensure that the ball performs how they wanted it to perform. So they give you a good insight. Um, a slight snippet. I remember in the 2007 World Cup, Johnny Wilkinson, who's a rugby player, the, the Americans. Oh, not know. 2007 <laughs> World Cup. Uh, <laughs> the, the Irish man said, no, "That's the day we didn't make it to the final." Uh, um, I think we did. So, well done, boys. Um, and you know, he, he could tell a slight variation in the mass between the balls just from kicking them. So they gave six practice balls, and he could he could pick out every time. You know, they labelled them one to six, and he could pick out every time the third ball did this. And, and the mark of a professional. That, yeah, that's professional. It's invaluable information. It's and you'd be naive and uh, unprofessional to ignore that. So we're not saying that we know everything and, and that we know we're still learning. And I guess we just want to work together. We want to work together to ensure that everybody's happy with, with the product and that the game improves. And, and that's not just a football, that's in every sport that everybody's mm-hmm. working on. So in what Mike's working in, uh, Henry and, and Brian, we're all trying to do it together. But I think the one thing that's, I think, unique with football or soccer is that football. Um, yeah, <laughs> global football, <laughs> um, that you guys actually do change the, the design of the football actually has progressed. Like baseball, fairly limited. Mm-hmm. Cricket, I don't know. It's probably yeah. like, um, there's tennis, yeah, tennis, Same. basketball. Like Golf each, changed. Yeah, yeah. And basketball, they tried to change it, but there was a little bit of... Um, resistance against that so it's always trying to yeah there's there's no clear and this is the one thing that I worked on actually there's no clear um, standards or legislation that says the ball must have this many seams there must be this dimension this positioning there's nothing to that there's lots of dynamic standards that they have they have the feed the denominations program that looks at all these other areas water absorption mass which is a common thing that people talk about uh, and get wrong um, and uh, yeah the, you know the position in the seams which is highly influential in the game and how it flies through the air is, isn't, isn't controlled and I think that's because our understanding of how they influence the, the, the flight of the ball is still is still uh, in its infancy and still coming clear to us so it would be, it'd be wrong it, at the moment where we stand at the moment it would be wrong to imply stringent rules that that um, restrict the innovation of these manufacturers to come out with novel ball designs, iconic balls like the Team Geist, uh, the Euro Pass, which is 2008, and the Jabulani 2010. It, it would be wrong for the governing bodies to do that at the moment, but you know that. Do you think exactly, that's? Yeah. You think that would be in the in the future? Do you think that's something we could expect? I mean, just as we would have a, a, a constraint on circumference, there's a constraint on some sort of aerodynamic property. Maybe for the future, yeah. I think I think the the one limitation with it is just the complexity of aerodynamics. Yeah. It's just, I mean, they've been developing vehicles and aeronautical aspects for for, well, for fifty hundred years, and they're still unknown areas. And I, I, I'd be wary to really apply too much without 
uh, academic rigor really, really and, yeah, it's, it, and we just don't want to change the game too much, but we want to help improve it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's my opinion anyway. I, I want to you know I want to improve the game. I love watching it, which is a lot of my friends that are rugby guys probably won't believe that I actually say that I actually like football. <laughs> but, uh, oh well. Where do you see footballs going next? Not. Um, Not like in the, in the net, but like. Yeah. <laughs> Well, new, new think, technologies or yeah well, I, I don't think we're finished I don't think we're finished with with optimizing designs uh, so <clears throat> even seeing configurations you, the more we understand from it the more we can tailor the design for a specific performance criteria so you know you, you know if you want it to spin more you can do this if you, if you want it to, um, to to behave more like a knuckleball in, in baseball you know you do this so I think that you know, that's that's an option for, for them to change uh, for it to, well for it to be developed. Um, a nice topical one at the moment is is definitely this uh, in the game and is related to the ball is this uh, goal line technology which I'm sure most people are familiar right. with. What's going on? Is there one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think and, and this is and, and again you know if you go back to the we said about aerodynamic standards and things this is. This is something that's far more controllable, and yet there's big debate and, and potential error for it to go wrong, which is why they're being cautious, and rightly so at the moment. These, these government bodies need to control things and make sure there's, there's not sufficient but big changes that occur without proper uh, corroborating evidence at the moment. So, But I think goal-line technology will definitely be coming in. It, it's, it's so... As, as, a, as, as a series of cameras, or as a... As a Yes, yeah, smart chip, smart ball, so to say, or smart ball. Um, Maybe a ball yeah, with some technology and, and electromagnetic sensors or whatever they do. I think there's lots, there's lots of ways. Like there's lots of ways to test things. There's lots of ways to, to measure things. And uh, yeah, you can have a visual system with loads of cameras. You could have a okay, an infrared barrier that's once penetrated by a, a ball of a known shape. It's uh, it's a goal. <clears throat> with a sensor inside of it that's wireless, trans- wirelessly transmitted to the to the referees. It um, comes off your boot. It's yeah, cool, obviously. Yeah, so I think it's uh, there's, there's lots of options. I know there's lots of companies working on it. There's uh, IFAB, um, which is the federation that's looking at actually signing off on this technology to see whether it's been ex- whether it be accepted or not. And you know they've got a series of criteria, and it's all on FIFA's website. You know they publicise everything; they never keep anything secret. They, you know everything's publicised, which is which is good if you're interested in looking at it. Apart from the votes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it. I'll just set it up there. We're all so, do you think it would be? Um, I get some point to speak now. Do <laughs> you think it would be beneficial to the game to have to have some sort of automated yeah. way of? I, th- I think, I mean, I, another passion of mine is cricket. I love watching cricket and I love how the sport's developed and how all of the technology has, has improved the game. You know, they've got referral systems now, they've got Hawkeye, other detection systems. I think it's brilliant. Um, and uh, Only makes it longer. Too. Yeah. And there still might be a draw at the end. Uh, so yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> no, whether whether it fundamentally improves the game, whether it fundamentally improves the game, I, I think so. I think that, well, from my my point of view is that you know we're not trying to have 
ideally we want the most perfect solution, but I think we need to take, to get to that perfect solution, we need to take small steps that just improve the game and improve the, the quality of the game. I mean, if you look how extra cameras, 3D cameras, slow motion cameras, it's just showing you a different part of the game that you, you never really saw before. Um, technology is fantastic, and I think you need to have technology to increase the, the viewing. And, and so much money is won and, like lost and won on, on tight decisions. And, and ultimately, if it's a goal, it's a goal. It should be accepted. Um, and and younger generations now expect technology. Like yeah, they're inundated with it every day, so they expect, expect it's like immediate and precise resulting. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think there's. I, I mean, coming back specifically to the to the goal line technology, they, you know, FIFA are trying new. Uh, directives, I guess, to put these extra men on on site, and you know, yeah, it's a step forward. I personally don't think it works particularly well. I think there's a lot of human error involved in it, um, and that's just, you know, if you look at cricket umpires, there's a lot less human error involved. But that's because they're stationary, you know, they're all of the kind of features that come with it. But um, I think two two extra officials on the side of a, of a touchline uh, don't work. And I think there's a call out for technology, and I think it will come, it, possibly in 2012, 2013, if they, because they're doing a series of testings from September to December as phase one, and then if that's successful, they do another series until May, and then if it's successful, then it will be implemented into leagues as a trial period. And I think it's it's only good for the game, and it's it's good for us because we get to work on technology, cool and, yeah, you change the game, but for, I think always for the benefit. It's always got to be for the benefit of the game, and not. Just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know, David? Is there any new companies that are going to be are going to come up because of the goal line technology? You know, like Prozone came along, boom, big company now, a really good product. Is there anyone on the horizon we should look out for? Uh, there, there are there are a lot of companies. I'm not familiar with all the companies that are going through the tender process with FIFA at the moment, yeah. but um, I know there's a there's a couple of European companies that are specialising in electronics that are looking at that. Um, there's definitely a market there. I mean, I, I mean, I speak to Brian quite regularly about how sport technology is going to improve, and and we both think it's in its infancy and it's going to grow. And uh, and I think this is one aspect that shows exactly that. That this is, you know, even the general public are talking about electrical equipment with inside of football to detect whether it's a goal or not. I mean, it's complicated equipment to detect such a simple application, which is did it cross the line or not, and. Uh, and that's what our job is all about, to try and apply technical aspects to everyday world or specifically a sport. So there definitely is going to be a need for new companies coming up, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can be involved in some of them that shape the, uh, the future of, the, of different sports. That's interesting because we're kind of in a, a very brands um, or a few brand-oriented sort of field. Where, where, I mean, there, there are not, not many companies do things in, in football in comparison with, um, with other fields, I'd say, but smaller companies with specialty in electronics. Yeah, there's, 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 more, there's more of a no- monopoly on, uh, especially in football, I mean, you look at a lot of the, the guys' boots, you know, they're, they're either Nike or Adidas, very, I don't know the, don't know this percentages, I'll probably be guessing, but, uh, you know, 90% of them are going to be owned by, worn an Adidas football boot or a Nike football boot, and that, that limits the opportunity for smaller uh, spin-out companies and emerging companies to really get into that market. The sports tech field. Yeah, so this this is a perfect opportunity for, for companies that are smaller to, to get up and say, yeah, we, we've got the experts in electronics or we've got the experts in vision systems, we can deliver this and this is how we deliver it. And work in collaboration with the big guys and uh, 
and kind of develop it. And I, there's, there's lots of opportunity. It's just having the foresight to say, this is where we need to go. And these, these are the people we need to work with. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where, um, where, uh, how, how it progresses in the next months, I guess. It's exciting, months, yeah. Year, year it's, and it's definitely, yeah. And not only that, but other aspects in the, in the game. Yeah, really exciting. Cool. cool. So what are, what are you on now? Where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bit it's been a bit of a roller coaster because like, as the guy said, I uh, well I finished my PhD about three months ago, two months ago actually. Successfully by but just got a few uh, had a few corrections to make, so but I'm, I'm working on a um, on a quite a confidential project, quite topical at the moment, especially with twenty twelve coming coming up with the Olympics. So it's an Olympic initiative. Um, I'm working with one of the, the key professors at the Institute at the moment, just kind of understanding the, the scope of the, the availability for sports technology in, in the Olympics, pre, during and, and post the Olympics really, so it's, uh, I know that sounds a bit vague, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I seem to work on quite a lot of confidential pro uh, projects and I try my best not to divulge too much <laughs> and uh, hopefully I don't get a P45 in the post. <laughs> uh, which to the Americans is a, is a basically you've been sacked. Okay, um, I was thinking like PP7 in the post. It could be assassinated. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get all my friends in the Marines. There. I haven't heard it on friends. I don't know if it exists. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's so lots of cool, lots of cool projects at the moment, but mainly Olympic based. And oh, yeah, very it's, good. It's, it's it's really exciting time of, in that transition period at the moment where I'm. I'm looking for opportunities. I'm, I'm trying to keep my eyes open and uh, and see what what what's out there. And ultimately, I want to do something that interests me, which is why I got into this field. You know, engineering, love it. Sport, love it. And the fact that I can do both together is it's just ideal for me. So Perfect. if I can continue along that line, then I'm I'm open for opportunities. So uh, great. I've, I've heard David, that you're a good golfer. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> he only says this because he played last night, and, and I think I actually got close to. Uh, your score in the end yeah. really uh, yeah the course record it's one of those sports that I decided to uh, a oh, while back I decided to take up at, at an older age because I thought it was for old men um, <laughs> and it turns out it's a perfect sport to take up while you're young because when you're older it's the perfect sport to play and yeah. you'll be better at it than so now, the, uh, now when you yeah, so I'm, course I'm, I'm, I'm learning so 50 I'm, years yeah exactly yeah and uh, they have fantastic food at our golf club so it's <laughs> it's like an added added incentive there to get on the course and play the the, the, the recent wife Karen hello again uh, <laughs> she's not best pleased because I play a lot of cricket which takes up a lot of time which is all day Saturday and then I try and play all day Sunday playing golf so um, I've got to find a compromise there somewhere for her I'm not sure where and maybe I'll have to find it. But yeah, no, I, I like playing golf. I wouldn't say I'm good at it, but I'm a cap of like 20 odd. Um, I, I won't say what the odd is, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I've got tuition from the Brian Roberts. Yeah, Brian Roberts, the, uh, the guru. So he tells me, I don't know. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Um, you're welcome. We'll, really we'll be putting up um, pictures of, uh, I think you had some cool pictures to send us of, of some of your testing that you've done. So we'll put up some of those on the website. And some contact information for Dave. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Want to learn more? Yeah, so I've got a LinkedIn account, so I'll put it up if anybody wants to get in contact. And Dr. David Rogers. Yeah. Great, well, thanks a lot. See you guys. See ya. Cheers, Em. 
And that's the episode. Remember, we have some pictures on our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Thanks for listening.